In this video, we're going over herbs that tonify blood. This is the second section in our category, tonifying herbs. As always, we'll start by talking about the signs and symptoms associated with blood deficiency. Then we'll talk about the individual herbs in this category. Then we'll go over some formulas and duayao pairs where these herbs pop up. And then we'll do a quick review. If you want to follow along, you can download the slides or the flashcards. Links to those are below. And this video is brought to you by the TCM Study Single Herb Review Course. So if you're studying for a big test like finals, year ends, or boards, and you want to review all of the single herbs in a quick and efficient manner, just hitting on the key points for each herb, check out the Single Herb Review Course, now available on Teachable. Links to that below as well. So herbs that tonify blood. Obviously, these herbs are used for cases of blood deficiency. So what does blood deficiency look like? Well, to understand it, we can think about the systems that are involved with blood and the tissues that are nourished by blood. So, of course, the main organ dealing with blood is the liver. We say the liver stores blood. So we can think about what are the tissues related to the liver. Well, first of all, we can think about blood going to the head, that the liver has to supply that blood up to the head and to the face. So if there's insufficient blood going up to nourish the head, we can see things like dizziness and tinnitus, basically like the sense organs of the head are not getting enough blood. So we see these kinds of symptoms in the upper body. Remember that the liver governs the eyes. Each of the organs goes to a sense organ. So the kidney goes to the ears, the lung goes to the nose, the liver goes to the eyes. So the liver is responsible for providing nourishment to the eyes through the form of blood. And so if there's not enough blood nourishing the eyes, we can see things like dry eyes, uh, diminished vision, I think is what Bensky says, but we can also say floaters in the vision, or I think the Chinese term is flowery vision, so little spots in the vision. This can also refer to like diminished night vision. So if a person has poor night vision, it could be that there's not enough blood nourishing the eyes. Remember, the liver also governs the sinews or the tendons. Each of the, the zongfu uh, governs a, a tissue in the body, and the liver governs the sinews or the tendons. And so the liver is responsible for supplying blood to the, the sinews and tendons. So if this is not happening... Um, the sinews can kind of dry out. Sometimes we use this image of, think about a rubber band. If you have a new fresh rubber band, it's nice and stretchy, but if you leave that rubber band out in the sun, it starts to dry out and it's no longer elastic. It's no longer flexible. It actually becomes very brittle and it's very easy to break. And so the same thing can happen if the sinews are not being nourished by liver blood. So we can see things like numbness, tingling, Hypertonicity is a, is a Nigel Weissman term. And so that means like spasm and contraction of the muscles or even tremor in the muscles because the, the sinews are not being nourished by liver blood. We talk about the nails. Uh, we say that the nails are the surplus of the sinews or the liver blooms in the nails. Uh, so this is another thing that different organs, like we say the kidney blooms in the hair. We say the liver blooms in the nails or the, the nails are the surplus of the sinews. So if those sinews aren't getting adequate blood supply, we could get things like pale, dry, brittle nails. And then liver blood also creates blood so uh, uh, menstruation can happen. So if we have deficiency of liver blood, then we can see certain menstruation issues like delayed menses, as in the period is late, um, scanty menses, not a lot of blood. Usually it's kind of thin and pale. 
or even amenorrhea. There's just not enough blood to form the period, so the period does not happen. This is uh, important for fertility issues as well, that we need to regulate the menses. And sometimes we refer to this as the liver has to supply blood to the ren and the chong, the penetrating and conception vessels. And so sometimes you'll see it this way as that the liver is not supplying blood to the ren and the chong. And so you end up with irregular menses or fertility issues. So those are our main signs and symptoms that we're going to see that are related to the liver. And these, this is the main one because the liver stores blood. So it's the main blood organ. And then our other organ that can be associated with blood is the heart. The heart is responsible for moving blood, but we can also have such a thing as heart blood deficiency. And here the big thing we're going to see are Shen problems, that the heart houses the spirit. The Shen is supposed to come home to the heart. The Shen has its abode in the heart. So if the heart is not being properly nourished by blood, it cannot provide that abode for the Shen and we get Shen disturbance or Shen uneasiness. So this could be things like palpitations, either your heart is racing or sometimes in TCM we say more like you can feel your heart pounding in your chest. Like if you get nervous when you're about to give a big speech, you can feel your heart pounding in your chest. If you feel that at unusual times, we could call that palpitations. Anxiety, insomnia, um, if the if the Shen is not coming home to uh, its to the heart, and being housed by the heart at night, you end up with insomnia, and then uh, memory problems like forgetfulness. So those are the main things we're talking about in terms of blood deficiency. These are two main organs. And so when we're thinking about what are the signs and symptoms of blood deficiency, this is a way you can remember it. You can think about what are the tissues that are associated with blood, or what are the tissues that are supposed to be nourished by blood, and so if you have blood deficiency, you're going to have that lack of nourishment and you're going to end up with these types of signs and symptoms. Also in general, not really associated with a, a particular organ, but we had, can have a pale lusterless complexion just because there's not enough blood nourishing the skin. So instead of having a, a vibrant complexion, you have a pale or a withered yellow lusterless complexion like a vampire. Uh, the tongue is going to be pale because there's not enough blood nourishing the tongue. And the pulse is going to be thin. Just um, when you say thin, we mean thin in diameter, thin or fine or thready. Those are all different translations of the word shimai. And it's just an indication that there's not enough blood to fill the vessel. So the vessel feels thin in diameter. Another thing we can say here is also the pulse might be choppy as well. So choppy refers to the smoothness or rather the lack of smoothness in the pulse. So if you have a smooth flowing pulse, we would say that's slippery. If it's not smooth, if it can be called rough or choppy. And basically, again, if there's not enough blood to flow smoothly, the pulse is going to feel rough or choppy. So those are the signs and symptoms we'll see with blood deficiency. So we have this slide, I think we pretty much uh, covered all of this, that we have these signs and symptoms that here, but if you want to remember these, you can relate these either to the tissues that are associated with the liver or the, the heart um, with Shen disturbance and uh, blood going to the head. We also say that blood deficiency may can also lead to internal wind or internal stirring of wind that... Um, Sometimes the way we explain this is if you think about the blood vessel as a pipe, and if the pipe is not full, the pipe is only a third of the way full, there's a lot of empty space in there, and that allows room for the wind to blow. So some of these symptoms like 
um, skin sensation problems, ning, uh, tingling, numbness, spasm and contraction of the sinews, loss of sensation. Those can be also, uh, we can call those wind conditions as well. And so blood deficiency can lead to this internal wind. And then something we want to pay attention to here is herbs in this category tend to be sticky and cloying, and they may cause middle jaw problems. This is something we kind of say about all of the tonifying herbs. We mentioned this in the tonify chi category, but this is especially true for herbs that tonify blood. That because blood is more substantial than chi, these herbs are just very sticky, sweet, cloying. They can very easily cause digestive problems. So we're going to want to combine these herbs with um, herbs that regulate chi or herbs that improve digestion just so we can actually digest the herb. So if you're prescribing these herbs, you want to uh, pay attention that does the patient have any indigestion, upset stomach, or, all, or are these herbs causing loose stools? And that might be a sign that you need to modify the formula to make it easier to digest. So we look at the properties here. Herbs that tonify blood are, of course, sweet in flavor because the sweet flavor tonifies. So this is going to be true of all of our categories of tonifying herbs. Temperature tends to be warm just because um, blood has a warming function. So tonifying blood uh, herbs tend to be warm. Channels entered are what we mentioned that the liver stores blood. So pretty much all of these herbs enter the liver channel. The heart moves the blood. So a lot of these herbs enter the heart channel as well, or we can have these symptoms of heart blood deficiency. The other one we sometimes talk about is the spleen. On the one hand, we can say that the creation of blood depends on the function of the spleen providing nourishment that we need to be able to digest our food to have the nutrients um, to create the blood. But then we also say that the spleen controls blood as in, as in it keeps the blood inside the vessels. So that's something we'll occasionally see in this category that some of these herbs enter the spleen channel as well. Um, so cautions and contraindications, these herbs are sweet, sticky, and cloying, so overuse can cause digestive problems. So like I said, this is especially true in the tonify blood category that we're going to want to combine these herbs with uh, other qi-regulating herbs, like the ones we've talked about so far, chen pi, mu xiang, sha ren, herbs like that that can um, help digest the herbs and help prevent stagnation in the middle jiao from the sweet, sticky property of these herbs. If you're going to be up there, you better not press any buttons. You can't press buttons while you're up here. And the main action here is to tonify blood and also nourish yin. That blood is a yin substance, so a lot of times these herbs not only tonify blood, they tonify yin as well. And then like we said, we're going to want to combine these with herbs that move or regulate qi to prevent stagnation. And again, these are the herbs we talked about like Mu Xiang, Chen Pi, and Sha Ren. So those are the properties of these herbs. So we look at this category, relatively short category, but a lot of these herbs are very important and there's a lot to say about them. So let's get started with Shu Di Huang, Romania Radix Preparata. Shu Di Huang, Romania Radix Preparata. And this is prepared Romania root. I actually don't know what Romania root is, but there are some people who are really into plants. When I say this is Romania root, they know what that means. But to me, this is Shu Di Huang, 
Romania Radix Preparata. And Xu Di Huang, of course, tonifies blood. This is one of our main herbs for tonifying blood, and it tonifies all the blood, all the things that we talked about. So we can say for a pale complexion or a pale face, dizziness, if there's not enough blood going up to the head to nourish the head and the sense organs, palpitation, so we're not only nourishing liver blood, we're nourishing heart blood as well, and especially irregular menses, if there's not enough blood to form the period. Uh, then we can end up with irregular menses. So Xu Di Huang is one of our most important herbs for tonifying blood. But besides that, Xu Di Huang also has a very important action of tonifying yin as well. So Xu Di Huang tonifies liver and kidney yin as well. For things like weak low back and legs, remember the kidney is in the low back, the kidney governs the knees, so with kidney yin deficiency, we can end up with weak low back and legs. Tidal fever, that's fever that rises and falls like the tide, so this might be like hot flashes. If there's not enough yin anchoring the, the yang downward, it can rise up with tidal fever. Steaming bone disorder, we talked about this in the category herbs that clear heat from deficiency, that if you have enough yin deficiency heat, it can actually feel like your bones are steaming, so a sensation of heat emanating from the bones. Night sweats. Nighttime is the yin time of day, so if your yin is deficient, it can't control the fluids and the sweat leaks out. Nocturnal emissions is uh, something that we can see in men, and I think about this as the same way as night sweats, is that um, if the kidney yin is deficient, it can't hold the fluids in, but it also can't uh, secure kidney essence, and so kidney essence leaks out in the terms of nocturnal emissions or seminal emissions. And this is also a very good herb for wasting and thirsting disease. Remember, this is something that we call xiao ke, wasting and thirsting disease or dissipation thirst. And this is something that we say this is similar to a Western diagnosis of uh, diabetes, that you're very thirsty, you drink a lot of fluids, but you also are urinating frequently, so none of the, the fluids stay in. There's usually, you have hunger as well. So xiao ke is this wasting and thirsting condition, and it can be associated with any of the three jiao. So you can have um, xiao ke in the upper burner, that's a lung condition, and the main symptom is thirst. You can have xiao ke related to the middle burner, and your main symptom is hunger, or you can have xiao ke related to the lower burner, and your main symptom is polyuria, or frequent urination. And so this is going to be an important one by tonifying the kidneys and generating uh, fluids and tonifying yin. We can also treat xiao ke, or wasting and thirsting disorder. And then besides that, Xu Di Huang also tonifies kidney essence as well. So tonifies kidney jing. So here we're tonifying very much all of the substantial things. We're tonifying blood, tonifying yin, and tonifying essence. So when you say tonifying kidney essence, uh, this can be delayed development, like we need kidney essence in order to grow and strengthen the bones. This can also mean if you have a waning kidney essence, you can have symptoms of like premature aging. So we can see things like premature graying of the hair, diminished mental uh, acuity, memory loss, or impotence. And so that's, that's, a, that's expensive, don't chew on that. And so um, that can be a sign of waning kidney essence as well. So some of the things we say here is Xu Di Huang is prepared Romania. The way it's prepared is actually by soaking it in wine and then steaming it. And then um, 
when we were talking about our sticky and cloying nature of herbs, Shudi Huang is especially sticky and cloying. I think of all the herbs we have to worry about, Shudi Huang is probably the the one we have to worry about the most in terms of its sticky, cloying nature that can upset digestion. So when we have Shudi Huang, we will definitely want to keep a look out for is the patient starting to experience some indigestion, some nausea problems? Do they get an upset stomach after they take their herbs? If they've been taking their herbs for a while, do they start to develop loose stools? And that's a sign of that this sticky, cloying nature of Xu Di Huang is affecting digestion. So it's very common to combine it with herbs like Chen Pi, aged tangerine peel from the Regulate Qi category. Mu Xiang is also from the Regulate Qi category. Or Sha Ren, cardamom from the aromatic transform dampness category also has an action of regulating qi. So when we look at the, the, the taste is, of course, sweet because we're tonifying. The channels entered are the heart, kidney, and liver because we're tonifying liver blood, but we're also tonifying heart blood to deal with things like palpitations. And then we're also um, tonifying kidney yin and kidney essence. So the entering channels make sense. But notice that the dosage is slight is larger than average, not slightly larger than average, but the dosage is larger than average, 9 to 30 grams. So not only is this a sticky cloying herb, we tend to use a lot of it as well. So we, that's something we'll want to pay attention to. And basically, the way I think about this is, remember, normally we say that heavier herbs or heavier substances tend to have a larger dosage just because we need more of them. So our shells and minerals tend to have a larger dosage just because they're denser. I think of this in the same way where if you if you have your sample of Shu Di Huang, it's a very heavy thick, dense root. So it kind of have that, has that same property that you need more of it. It's not like a light, fluffy flower. It's a very thick, dense root. So you need a larger dosage just in order for it to fill up the pot the appropriate amount. So just remember that Shu Di Huang has a much larger than average dosage. And so the name Shu Di Huang means uh, cooked earth yellow. So shu is a word for prepared, like sheng means raw, shu means cooked, di means earth, as in like the earth. I was going to say sometimes we use, when we talk about the five phases, we use the word tu for earth, but that means more like earth as in soil. This means earth as in like the world, and huang means yellow. Why does it have that name? I don't actually know. Um... But part of this is remember that we learned two versions of Romania root so far. So we've learned Sheng Di Huang, raw Romania root, from the category herbs that cool the blood. And now we're learning Shu Di Huang, prepared Romania root, in the category herbs that tonify blood. So these are herbs that, first of all, they look very similar. Like these are technically two different samples, but at least for me, when I look at these two herbs, it's very difficult for me to tell which one is raw and which one is prepared. It kind of depends on the supplier that you get it from. But these are these are the same herbs, just one is prepared in a different way. But because of this, they have uh, very different properties and we'll use them in different ways. So in comparing them, Sheng Di Huang, the raw herb, is cold and bitter. So it's very good for clearing heat cooling the blood, whereas Shu Di Huang, after it's gone through this preparation process of soaking it in wine and steaming it, then it's slightly warm in temperature. So we're going to use it for a different temperature conditions. 
But in terms of their main action, remember, Shengdi Huang cools the blood. It clears blood heat. We use this in conditions, especially when there's bleeding. So in terms of the Wenbing, when heat gets into the blood level and we start seeing things like nosebleed, vomiting blood, blood in the urine, blood in the stool. Or this can be used for menstruation issues like profuse bleeding or prolonged bleeding due to heat. Shengdi Huang will cool the blood. Whereas Shu Di Huang is more about tonifying blood and treating those signs of blood deficiency that we talked about, like pale face, dizziness, palpitations, and menstruation problems, but menstruation problems due to deficiency, where there's not enough blood to form the period. But then what's interesting here is that both of these both of these herbs have an action of tonifying yin, but it's slightly different because of this preparation, because of this temperature change. So when we say that Shengdi Huang tonifies yin, we're kind of saying more that it tonifies the yin and generates fluid. So this is especially useful after you have a febrile disease and the fluids have been damaged, or you have dryness and thirst and constipation because heat has damaged the fluids. Shengdi Huang is more about tonifying yin to generate those fluids, whereas Shu Di Huang is more about tonifying yin and tonifying essence. So this is more like the true yin of the kidneys, or remember we talked about tonifying kidney essence as in uh, delayed development or premature aging uh, situations. So those are some of the main differences there. And then one of the ways I remember this one is just looking at the root. This is a very thick, dense root, but it's also very black in color. So you can think that black is the color of the kidneys. So it's good for tonifying all those substantial things like kidney yin, kidney essence, but also blood. Because we say that um, blood and essence share the same source or blood and essence are mutually engendering. So the fact that it's a, a thick, sticky black root, somehow that helps me remember that we're talking talking about tonifying blood and tonifying yin as well. So for Shu Di Huang, remember all these things, tonifies blood, tonifies yin. So this is our main herb for tonifying blood, but actually a lot of our kidney yin tonifying formulas are based on Shu Di Huang as well. So this action of tonifying uh, yin and tonifying essence is very important to remember about Shu Di Huang as well. So that's Shu Di Huang prepared Ramania root. Our next herb is Dang Gui Angelica Sinensis Radix. Dang Gui Angelica Sinensis Radix. And so this one, some people will say like, oh yeah, this is Angelica root. And they know what that is. But just keep in mind that so far we've learned several different types of Angelica. So we learned Baijur is Angelica de Hurricai. Here we have Dongwei Angelica Sinensis. We learned uh, Duhuo Angelica Pubacentis Radix. So if you like to remember Angelica, that's fine. Just realize that we've learned several types of Angelica so far. So the main thing we want to know about Dongwei, what makes it stand out, is that it has a specialty that it both tonifies blood and invigorates blood. So the fact that it has both of these actions makes it very special, and it's especially useful for women's health conditions. So that's what we're going to be focusing on with Dongwei. So let's go through these one by one. So first of all, Dongwei tonifies blood for all those things we talked about, like a pale complexion, uh, lusterless nails or brittle nails, blurred vision. If there's not enough liver blood nourishing the eyes, we can end up with blurred vision, tinnitus, palpitations. So we're also talking about heart blood as well. 
But really, the specialty of Dongwei is that it's good for menstruation issues. So actually, I didn't put it this way on my slides, but a lot of books will say that Dongwei, its first action is it nourishes blood and regulates menses. So we should pay special attention to uh, Dongwei's ability to regulate the menses and treat menstruation issues. So things like irregular menses, dysmenorrhea or painful menses, or amenorrhea, lack of menses, that there's either not enough blood to form the menses or there's so much blood stasis that the blood's not coming out. So this is uh, because it both tonifies blood and invigorates blood, Dongwei is very good at treating menstruation issues. This one, it also has an action of promoting flesh regeneration for long-standing skin wounds or for abscesses, abscesses, swellings, and pus. And this would be a thing where, I think we talked about the same thing with Huangqi astragalus radix, where if you have some sore or some abscess and either there's not enough qi or there's not enough blood to heal the wound or to close the wound, then this can help uh, by tonifying blood and invigorating blood. It can help with that. I believe this can be used both internally and topically uh, for this situation. But remember, uh, Huang Qi has a similar action, so it's very common to combine these two herbs together um, for various uh, various issues like this. This one, I think Bensky um, puts it under its own separate function, but I think this is related to tonifying blood, so I put it under the heading of tonifying blood. And similar to that, uh, Dongwei also moistens the large intestine to relieve constipation. This is for dry stools due to blood deficiency. So again, if there's not enough blood going to the large intestine, there's not enough blood nourishing the large intestine, it, the stools will be dry, the, the large intestine will be dry, and we can end up with constipation. So by tonifying blood, this also moistens the large intestine to relieve constipation. And this is another one where most books will, this is important enough that they'll put it as a separate function. And I think this is important because we, we will see Dongwei come up in formulas for constipation due to deficiency. But I think that this has to do with constipation due to blood deficiency. So I just put it under the heading tonify blood. So Dongwei, in terms of tonifying blood, it's, it does all those things we talked about, but it's really good at regulating menses. It also has this action of regenerating flesh and healing long-standing wounds, similar to Huang Qi. And then it also moistens the large intestine to relieve constipation. That's going to come up in formulas like... Um, no, I can't think of the name. Benefit the River Decoction. It comes up in formulas like Benefit the River Decoction. But besides tonifying blood, uh, the other important action is Dongwei also invigorates blood as well. So this can be really useful because on the one hand, when we're tonifying blood, it's very easy that if we just start piling blood in there, it's very easy for it to, to get stuck and just sit there because yin is, uh, blood is thick, it's substantial, it's a yin thing, so it's very easy when you tonify blood, it just kind of sits there. So if you have Dongwei that also invigorates blood, that prevents stagnation, so that's one advantage here. But also, just these two things tend to go together, especially when we're dealing with those women's health issues, that uh, most of the menstruation issues are a combination of blood deficiency and or blood stagnation. So here with Dongwei, we have an herb that does both. So Dongwei invigorates blood as well for things like pain due to blood stasis, like painful menses, um, abdominal pain, injury, and trauma.
So that's another important action that Dongwei invigorates blood as well. And so a few extra notes about Dongwei, Angelica sinensis radix, is Dongwei is one of the most frequently used herbs in women's health conditions because it both tonifies blood and invigorates blood. So again, most of these conditions are either one or the other or both. We say that men are based in chi, so we tend to use chi herbs. Women are based in blood, so they tend to have more blood issues, and that's either going to be blood deficiency or blood stagnation. Here with Dongwei, we have an herb that does both. So it's very good, especially for OBGYN conditions like irregular menses or painful menses either due to blood deficiency, there's not enough blood to form the period, or blood stasis, when that blood is not moving, you get a sharp stabbing pain, or the um, a lot of clots, or uh, uh, delayed menses, and um, irregular periods, sometimes long, sometimes short, things like that. Postpartum issues tend to be a combination of um, deficiency and stagnation on the one hand after you give birth there's still a lot of not baby in there that needs to come out so we call that uh, lochia there, there can be retention of lochia or during the process of giving birth you just lose a lot of blood and lose a lot of yin so it's very important to tonify blood to replenish all that blood that's lost but it's also important to keep it moving to move all that other stuff out and this can actually even be used during pregnancy but we have to use it very cautiously because it has this invigorating. So there are certain issues that might come up during pregnancy where it may be appropriate to use Dongwei. So I think some books will say that Dongwei is contraindicated during pregnancy. Bensky at least does not have this um, contraindication. There are formulas that we use during pregnancy that contain Dongwei, but we should know that we should be very cautious about its use because it does have that blood invigorating. Uh, property. So Dongwei, um, it's so popular for women's health that sometimes they even put it in tea. So this is like a tea of, they saw, say, women's Dong Kwai tonic. That's another way you'll see this herb. I think that's the Wade Giles version of Dongwei is Dong Kwai. So it's so good for women's health that they'll even put it in tea. And this is one that's kind of funny that uh, something my Chinese teacher would say is that Dongwei has such a reputation for being a women's health herb that uh, sometimes if you, they would prescribe uh, a formula with Dongwei and, and give it to a man, and they, they'd get confused. They'd like look at their formula and read through the ingredients and say, oh, you must have made a mistake. This, er, this formula has Dongwei in it. I'm, I'm not a woman. I don't need Dongwei. I need Korean red ginseng. And so it's, it has uh, such a reputation of being a good herb for women's health that some people uh, get confused when it's, when it's given to male patients. Uh, but there, there are very good reasons to give this to male patients. Even though we say that specialty is in women's health, we still prescribe it to men all the time. And so one of the issues that come up is... Um, is Dongwei estrogenic? One of, one of the reasons we say this is good for women's health is it has phytoestrogens in it or it has something to do with estrogen, so that makes it especially useful for, for menopausal symptoms. So is Dongwei actually estrogenic? Well, according to most of the things I've seen, the answer is no. Sometimes what they say is there are certain uh, constituents in Dongwei that will bind to estrogen receptors, so it might have a a similar effect, but is strictly speaking, it is not estrogenic. So this was this was the one that I could find that was actually published by a, a medical journal. 
And so here they say DBT, that's Donggui Bushui Tong. So they weren't using just Donggui, they were using a combination of Donggui plus Huang Qi, which is a very common pair. And so they say, uh, no strict estrogenic bioactivities were observed. So strictly speaking, it doesn't, um, Donggui does not create estrogen or uh, stimulate the creation of estrogen. But there are a lot of sources that will say that it has a similar effect by binding to estrogen receptors. And then is it safe with breast cancer? This is something that has, that has come up because people think that because it's estrogenic, if we have estrogenic breast cancers, that this might make the situation worse. And so, again, this was a uh, study published by the NIH. They where they did this, or AS means Angelica sinensis. We showed that Angelica sinensis is not that stimulatory in breast cancer, both in vitro and in vivo, though it should still be used with caution in estrogen receptor positive breast cancer patients. So they're kind of saying, strictly speaking, it's not that, it doesn't have that much of an effect, but that may be something you want to be careful of. Um, if you have uh, patients with breast cancer, that might be something to be careful of is giving Donggui. Um, this is going to sound kind of weird. I feel like I've also had people say that uh, Donggui can actually help with uh, breast enhancement or making the breast um, larger or fuller. And that may be related to this uh, estrogen type thing. Because I think a lot of patients sometimes experience similar things when they go on birth control. And so I think it might be a similar thing that their breasts feel bigger or fuller. But I think this is also can be useful in terms of um, if there's blood deficiency, maybe there's not enough blood nourishing the breast tissue and it tends to shrink. So this is something that sometimes women are concerned about after giving birth and breastfeeding that maybe by using Donggui to tonify blood that can um, help with some of those conditions. So Donggui, very good for women's health. The other thing is Donggui is a root with several different parts. There's the head, Donggui To, there's the body, Donggui Shen, and there's the tail, Donggui Wei. So the head is the most blood tonifying, followed by the body, which is still pretty tonifying, but also invigorating. And then the tail, Donggui Wei, is most invigorating. So this is another way that you can um, tailor your formula is by using Donggui, depending on which action you want to emphasize, you can use different parts of the Donggui plant. So this is something that, especially in clinics, they tend to have uh, Donggui, the whole root, and then right next to it, they have Donggui Wei, the tails of Donggui. And just know that Donggui Wei is better at invigorating blood where the entire Donggui is better at tonifying blood. The other thing you should look for if you're ordering Donggui or using Donggui is this word pian. Pian means sliced. So I made this mistake when I first ordered Donggui that I just went online and said Donggui, click the button and got uh, ordered the Donggui. And I ended up with the whole Donggui root, like that top picture. And the problem is when you get the whole root, it's kind of a big root. And so these roots would weigh like 30 to 50 grams. And that was really a problem because I only wanted 10 grams to put in my formula. And it's really hard to break up this root there. Once they're dry, they're very solid. I think that if you want to slice them, the way to do this is you heat them up slowly, like in a 
put your oven on its lowest temperature or put it in a toaster oven on its lower lowest temperature and heat it up very slowly. And once it gets warm, that softens it and that makes it easier to slice. You can actually do the same thing with ginseng root as well. I meant to mention that on the last video about tonify chi, that if you get a, a whole ginseng root and it's too big, you don't want to use 50 grams of renshen, you only want to use 10 grams of renshen. The way you can do it is heat it up slowly and that makes it a little bit softer and then you can either slice it or I would use um, kitchen shears or poultry shears to snip it into smaller pieces. So you can do the same thing with dong wei if you need to slice it. But really when you order it, there's usually an option for dong wei pian. And here pian just means sliced. That means they sliced it at the manufacturer. And so that way it's easier to dose it out into 10 gram increments or whatever dosage you want. You can break those pieces apart easily. So if you're ordering Dongwei, it's likely you'll want to order Dongwei Pian. That's not a different version of Dongwei. That's not a different preparation of Dongwei. It just means it's sliced into these thin slices. And that's probably what your herb sample looks like as well. That's Dongwei Pian. So the name Dongwei is interesting. Uh, Gui means to return or to restore. We have a very uh, famous formula, Gui Pi Tong, restore the spleen decoction. That's the same character, Gui. So Gui means to return or to restore or restoration. Uh, Dong can mean like to be, so like to be restored or state of restoration or state of return. So. I've heard a couple different stories about this. Um, one story that was in a, in a, a Chinese medical food cures book, I think. It told this story about there was this guy, he was an herbalist, and he said, I'm going to go off and uh, pick some herbs in the mountains. So he, he left his wife at home and he went off to, to pick a bunch of herbs to resupply his herb shop. But once he got into the mountains, there was this huge snowstorm and he was stuck up there for like nine years, like a really long time. It must have been a really big snowstorm. Um, I'm thinking about when uh, in Lord of the Rings, when they tried to go over uh, Redhorn Pass, instead they went under the mountain. Anyway, he got stuck up in the mountains. And so when he came back, he found that his wife didn't actually wait around for him. His wife got remarried. And so uh, he named this root, uh, Dong can also mean should have or ought to. So he named this root Dongwei ought to return. So he said when he came back, um, the husband ought to have returned sooner, but the wife ought to have waited longer. Anyway, that's kind of a silly story. I'm not sure that that actually means anything, but for some reason I remember that story. But I think a better explanation, we can say state of return or state of restoration. This is referring to giving this herb in a postpartum situation. That after a woman gives birth, the blood and yin are depleted. There can be stagnation there. And so often there's a recovery period that I think in China could last up to like six weeks where you just stay in bed after you've given birth. And so Dongwei will help return the patient to their original state. So state of return, state of restoration, returning you to a state of uh, health after giving birth. So maybe that can help you remember that this herb both tonifies blood and invigorates blood. Those are the two main actions of Dongwei. After that is Bai Shao, Pionii Radix Alba. Bai Shao, Pionii Radix Alba. And this is white peony root. So earlier we learned Chershao, red peony root, from the cool the blood or from the invigorate blood category. Now we're learning Bai Shao, white peony root. 
So by shout, like everything in this category, it tonifies blood. And this is another one that's especially useful for regulating menses. So some books will say that by shout nourishes blood and regulates menses as its main function. And so irregular menses, flooding and spotting. So when you say flooding, we mean um, uh, prolonged menses or profuse bleeding. Like there's a lot of blood coming out. We say spotting, that means spotting between periods. So flooding and spotting, um, but then accompanied by other signs of blood deficiency, like pale lusterless complexion and dull lusterless nails. And I think what's especially useful here is we should point out that Baishao is slightly cold in temperature. So this is good that we can tonify blood, but it's not going to create heat signs as well. But then the other important thing about Baishao is it also has this action of relaxing the liver. And we say this in a couple different ways. We can say it softens and smooths the liver. It relaxes the liver. We can say it emoliates the liver. Um... And basically what we're talking about here is this is good for pain, spasm, and cramping, especially cramping pain in the abdomen or cramping in the hands, feet, and legs. So I think there's a couple ways we could explain this action of relaxing the liver. On the one hand, remember we talked about that the liver governs the sinews. And so if the sinews are not being nourished by liver blood, we can get this condition of hypertonicity of the sinews. And this is what we're talking about. Spasm, contraction, cramping pain. This is hypertonicity of the sinews because they're not being adequately nourished by blood, by yin and blood. And so because Baishao tonifies liver blood that can nourish the sinews and help them relax. So that's one way we can think about this function. Another way you can think about this is just the nature of the liver is that the nature is very angry. It's very shouty. It's very easy to get a hard edge. Think about like a wiry pulse is a pulse with a hard edge. We can have the same thing going on with the liver where if it's there's not enough blood nourishing the liver, it gets angry and it gets this hard edge. This is kind of related to this saying that the liver is yin in form and yang in function. So when we say the liver is yin in form, we mean that it stores blood and we want it to be yin and soft. Its yang function is um, promoting movement and circulating the chi properly. So we can say that if the liver is not, uh, if there's not enough yin nourishing the liver, the liver becomes deficient and then it can fail in that yang action of free coursing and creating smooth movement. And so that causes the liver to get hard and has a hard edge and is very angry. So either way we can think about it, we can say that it, the liver, that Baishao softens the liver, relaxes the liver, emoliates the liver. And the main application for this is cramping and spasm pain. When we get into formula class, this is going to pop up basically any time that you have uh, this cramping and spasm. This could be abdominal cramping, that you have middle jowl deficiency causing abdominal pain and cramping, we use Baishao to relieve the cramping. If you have someone that they're vomiting a lot, they got sudden turmoil and they're, they're vomiting a lot, and because of that, they start to have uh, abdominal cramping pain, use Baishao. If you have cramping in the calves, cramping in the hands and feet, we'll use Baishao as a way to relax that cramping pain or deal with that cramping and spasm. So that's a very important function of Baishao. And then kind of a funny one, we say that Bai Shao preserves yin and harmonizes the yin in the way. And this is for things like sweating, vaginal discharge, or wind-cold deficiency patterns. 
So this, this is related to the fact that Baishao is sour in flavor. So we don't really go so far as to say that Baishao induces astringency or checks sweating or stops sweating or stabilizes the exterior. We were a little bit softer in our language where we say that Baishao, because of its sour flavor, it can preserve yin. But it has a similar function of where keeping the fluids in to stop sweating and to stop things like vaginal discharge. And so the place this mainly comes up is, remember at the very beginning, one of our first herbs we learned in the warm acid release the exterior category was guajur, cinnamon twig. And so for guajur, we said that treats a pattern of taiyang deficiency. That's an exterior attack of wind cold, but there's deficiency on the exterior. Because the exterior is deficient, um, it can't hold in the fluids, so the sweat leaks out, but it does so in a way that's insufficient to expel the pathogen. So Taiyang deficiency is characterized by simultaneous fever and chills, neck and body ache, and the presence of sweating. So for that situation, you use, we use Guajur for Taiyang deficiency. It turns out we combine Guajur with this herb, Bai Shao. So for Taiyang deficiency, we use a combination of Guajur, plus Bai Shao. And part of that, part of the reason we do that is because Bai Shao is an action of preserving yin for that fever and chills with sweating. So that's what we mean here by when we say Bai Shao preserves yin. So in terms of harmonizing the yin and the way, you can think that Guajur is working more on the exterior to uh, help with the it's, it has an acridness that pushes the pathogen out, but Bai Shao, by its tonifying nature, it's tonifying the ying, preserving the fluids, and helping keep that sweating in. So that's what we mean when we say Bai Shao preserves yin. We're, we're kind of referring specifically to its place in this pair of Guajur plus Bai Shao. So again, this is related to the fact that it's Bai Shao is sour in flavor, so it has this restraining action. So then uh, down here we say Bai Shao is incompatible with Li Lu. So if you remember at the very beginning, we talked about the 18 incompatible herbs. These are a combination of herbs that when we combine two incompatible herbs together, that creates side effects that are not otherwise present in either herb alone. And we say the 18 incompatible herbs, that's really, it's three groups of incompatibilities. So we have herbs that are incompatible with Gansao, which we talked about in the last one. We have herbs that are incompatible with Futsa, which we talked about in the first category here. It turns out there's a third category of herbs that are incompatible with Li Lu. So this probably isn't very important because we don't learn the herb Li Lu. It turns out Li Lu is um, uh, not a purgative. It's an emetic. It, um, it, caught, it induces vomiting. And so there was, there was a period of time where this was one of the treatment methods as you could either if you want to get rid of a pathogen, you could promote sweating and sweat it out. You could promote urination and like guide heat out through the urine like we do with jertsa. You could uh, purge things through the large intestine. So like with da huang, if you have a lot of heat bond, you can purge that heat out through the large intestine. There was another treatment method where you could get rid of evil by inducing vomiting. Turns out we don't really do that anymore. That's kind of gone out of fashion. And so we don't learn those vomiting herbs. So Technically, we can say that Bai Shao is incompatible with Li Lu, but whenever I've gotten questions, I've never gotten questions about Li Lu. If they ask questions about the 18 incompatible herbs, it's always about which herbs are incompatible with Gansao or which herbs are incompatible with Futsa or Wuto. 
but this is just something that we can add in there that there is this third category of incompatible herbs, lilu, um, which, which induces vomiting, incompatible with baixiao. The other thing we'll talk about here is, like we said, we learned two versions of peony root. We learned churshao, red peony, from the invigorate blood category, and now here we're learning baixiao, white peony root, from the tonify blood category. So again, these are, these are two different versions, and they have different properties. So both of them, it turns out, are slightly cold in temperature. And in this category, that kind of stands out with baixiao, that most of our herbs here are warm in temperature, but uh, baixiao is cool in temperature, so we can tonify if we have a, a situation of heat signs. But the main difference here is that churshao, it cools the blood and invigorates blood. And so we said this is similar to like a mudan pea. That mudan pea is in the cool the blood category, but it also invigorates blood. Whereas churshao is the invigorate blood category, but it also cools the blood. So it's more about cooling the blood. Whereas baixiao white peony is more about tonifying blood and relaxing, softening, or emoliating the liver specifically to deal with spasm and cramping of the sinews. So this is something that we'll need to know the difference. The thing is, these are these can both re be referred to under the generic, generic name Shaoyao. Shaoyao just means peony root. And so it turns out that way back in the day, they didn't differentiate between red peony and white peony. They just said peony root and they called it Shaoyao. Later in history, they started to differentiate between these two different varieties. So then we got uh, Baishao versus Churshao, and we, they have different actions and we use them in different ways. But the reason this is important is sometimes when you'll look at formulas, if it's a formula that comes from 1500 or 2000 years ago, sometimes the ingredient list, it will be listed as Shaoyao. And sometimes people will ask, what is Shaoyao? Shaoyao is just the generic name for peony, and you have to decide whether, based on this formula, which one do you want to use? Is it more appropriate to use baixiao or churshao? And a lot of times, this will actually be in the footnote underneath. So if you're in the, the green version of Bensky, he might list out some ingredients, and in the, in the ingredients list, it will say shaoyao, but then underneath, it will be an asterisk that says, most practitioners use baixiao as their form of shaoyao. So that's something to know just if you're copying ingredients out of books. And I just say this because I had this come up in clinic, in the school clinic a lot, both with students and actually with supervisors as well, that if they were writing a formula, they might just copy the ingredients out of their Bensky and they get to Shaoyao and they'll say, what is Shaoyao? Do we have Shaoyao? And I'll have to say, yes, Shaoyao is just peony root. You need to you need to decide whether you want Baishao or Churshao. Unfortunately, sometimes this has also actually happened with practitioners as well. I remember I had, there was one supervisor that copied the formula out of Bensky and they said, oh, I'm going to modify it by adding Bai Shao. And then I was like, you know that Shao Yao is Bai. It's, you, have, you have peony in here twice. You should really know better. So I point this out now. So hopefully that won't happen to you that when you're going through formulas, if you see Shao Yao listed as an ingredient, don't get confused. That's just a generic name for both churshao and baishao. And if the if the formula is more about invigorating blood, you'll probably want to use churshao. If the formula is more about tonifying blood, you'll probably want to use baishao. But that's something we should know about baishao. The name just means white peony. After that is 
Polygony Multiflory Radix Preparata. Polygony Multiflory Radix Preparata. This is a really fun one. The name means Mr. Hu's Black Hair. And so there's a very interesting story behind this herb. So we'll talk about that. But first, let's talk about uh, the functions that Hu it tonifies all of those substantial things. It tonifies blood, it tonifies yin, and it tonifies essence. And so this has several applications. We can say that uh, it darkens the hair. The name of this herb is Mr. Hu's black hair. So that can help you remember that it is especially good for darkening the hair on the head. And I think we also specifically say the hair of the beard as well. So it uh, darkens the hair and the whiskers. Uh, strengthens tendon and bone. So uh, we've talked about this before when we say tonify liver and kidney yin to strengthen tendon and bone. The tendons belong to the liver, the bones belong to the kidney. So when we tonify these things like blood, yin, and essence, we can strengthen tendon and bone. Uh, this can treat internal wind and wind rash due to blood deficiency. So I think in the, this is one that Bensky just says it tonifies blood to treat wind rash. So itchy conditions, skin conditions due to blood deficiency. But um, at least my teacher said this could also treat internal wind conditions due to blood deficiency. Remember, we said this is something like um, you can think of the blood vessel like a tube or a pipe. And normally it should be full of blood. So there's no extra space in there. But if you have blood deficiency, that means the, the pipe is only a little bit full. And that allows room for wind to blow. So later we'll get in the category herbs that extinguish wind. And we'll talk about one of our causes of wind is blood deficiency. Well, here we have Jirhushowu can tonify wind to treat this internal wind stirring, but also for external conditions like rash, wind rash due to blood deficiency. We can also say it preserves essence because it tonifies essence. Um, notice that it's also astringent in nature. So this, so Hushowu is special that it's not only sweet in flavor to tonify the essence, it also has an astringent property to hold the essence in. So this can be very useful if we're dealing with things like seminal emission, nocturnal emission, uh, impotence, vaginal discharge, that we want to both tonify essence, but also hold in the essence that's leaking out. It's a two for one. Then we can say this Hirsha uh, also moistens the large intestine to relieve constipation. But this one, if you were going to use it for this function, you would probably use it in its raw form. So Jirhushowu is the prepared version of Hushowu. If you want to moisten the large intestine, you would use Shenghushowu, the raw version. Hushowu also clears heat toxicity for things like skin infection, carbuncle sores, boil scrofula, all the things we usually talk about with heat toxicity. But this one, you would only use it in its raw form, Shenghushowu. And so some special things about Hushowu, this is a very versatile herb, partly because it tonifies all of these things. It tonifies blood, yin, and essence. It's also astringent, so it can hold in things that are leaking out. But it's also special because it's only slightly warm. It's almost neutral in temperature. So that means we can use it for both heat and cold conditions. And this is also special because it's not really sticky or cloying at all. Whereas with something like Shudi Huang, we had to worry about its rich, sticky, cloying nature could upset digestion and cause loose stools. Hushowu, it's not, doesn't have that sticky, cloying nature, so we don't really have to worry about it as much as all, as much um, at all. So that's another thing that makes Hushowu stand out. 
Um, so the name means Mr. Hu's black hair. So Hu means is a surname, Mr. Hu. Shou means actually means head, but it can also refer to the hair on your head. And Wu means black. Wu actually means like crow or raven, but it's also used to refer to the color. This comes up in other herbs like Wu Mei or Wulong Ti. But the story with this one is, is kind of interesting. So it goes that there was this man named uh, Mr. He or He Tian R. And so He Tian R was born just constitutionally was born with a very weak constitution, was born with weak kidneys. So he, uh, he had a weak and sore low back. He had painful aching knees. He had impotence. His hair was going gray and he could not have children. So, of course, nobody wanted to marry him. And so he just became depressed and he became an alcoholic. So he would just drink every day and that only made his, his situation worse. So one day when he was drunk, he passed out and uh, in his drunken stupor, he rolled over, he looked and he saw this vine. And he thought that the way that these vines were growing looked like two people making love. And so he thought this was very interesting. He went into town and told the story to a, a Taoist in town. And the Taoist said, this is a sign that probably means you should take this herb as a tonic. So Mr. He went back. He uh, dug up the vine and got its, uh, took its roots. And I think he actually, he didn't boil it in a decoction. He actually steeped it in alcohol because, you know, he was an alcoholic. But he started taking this uh, root um, as a tonic steeped in alcohol. And what happened is his, um, it tonified his kidney essence. His back got stronger. His knees got stronger. His gray hair turned black. Uh, he got married and had like 17 children. And so that's why this herb is called Mr. Hu's black hair. It's named after the story of Mr. Hu, who had constitutional uh, deficiency of blood, yin, and essence. So he took this herb and it made his hair turn black. It fixed his kidney jing problems, and he got married and had 17 children and lived to be 180 years old or something like that. So hopefully that story, uh, the name of this herb, Mr. Hu's Black Hair, can help you remember that this herb tonifies blood, tonifies yin, tonifies essence, especially for darkening the hair, but also for treating those other problems like strengthening tendon and bone for like weak and sore low back, weak and weak knees. And also tonifying essence and preserving essence for things like fertility issues as well. So that's Jerhu Shou Wu, Mr. Hu's black hair. Oh, and also um, you might see this in the West. It goes by the name Fo Tea in supplement shops and things like that. It turns out this is not a real name. This is not a Chinese name. What happened is um, some people heard about this. Chinese herb and they wanted to market it in the West as a supplement, but they thought that Hushou was too difficult for Westerners to say. So they just made up a name and they called it Fo Tea. They figured that sounded vaguely Chinese, but it was easy it was easier to pronounce. So it's kind of like Hagendaz isn't a real word. It's just a made-up word that sounds fancy. So Fo Tea, you might see it this way. It's just a made-up name for Hushou or Zhu after that is e jiao asini korei cola. E jiao asini korei cola. This is ass hide gelatin. Uh, ass is in a donkey, so donkey hide gelatin. I think it specifically comes from a, a species of black donkey. So you could say this is black ass hide gelatin, 
or donkey glue. Um, so you would take the connective tissue of the specific donkey and boil it down and the collagen would come out and that would form a gelatin or a glue. And that's what we're taking. And kind of the idea here is because this is an animal product, it's closer to like, it's closer to humans. It's close, it's uh, more mimics the blood of our body. So animal parts tend to be better at tonifying things like blood and essence than plant parts because it's um, closer to being a, a living being. So Ujiao, and I guess the the things we should pay attention to with Ujiao is this one it has a specialty of both tonifying blood and stopping bleeding. So the combination of those two make it very special. So like with Dongwei, we said it tonifies blood and invigorates blood. Here with Ujiao, we say it tonifies blood and stops bleeding, which is a very useful combination. So Ujiao tonifies blood for things like dizziness, pale complexion, uh, palpitations, all of the things we talk about with blood deficiency. But what's special here is Ujiao also stops bleeding as well for things like coughing up blood, blood in the stool, but especially menstruation or um, uterine bleeding, flooding and spotting, so profuse menses during the period and then spotting between periods, or even bleeding during pregnancy. This is one where I think Bensky doesn't specifically mention bleeding during pregnancy, but it turns out we have a very, um, very famous formula for bleeding during pregnancy where Ujiao presents because of its ability to stop bleeding. So Ujiao tonifies blood and stops bleeding, and this can be very useful, a very useful combination. But then we also say that Ujiao tonifies yin and moistens the lung. That lung emoji is kind of creepy. I'm not sure I'm going to use this anymore. But by tonifying in, it's for irritability and insomnia after a febrile disease. So you get sick, you have a wind heat attack, and that can damage your yin. And so you get irritability, insomnia, restlessness. Uh, in the aftermath, Ujiao can tonify the yin. But it also specifically moistens the lung, specifically for dry cough or dry cough with blood in the sputum. So this combination of functions makes this... Uh, uh, herb or makes a substance very useful because it both tonifies blood and stops bleeding. It's good for both bleeding and deficiency because if we're dealing with something like flooding and spotting or profuse menses, it's very common that these two would go together. That if you're bleeding a profuse amount of blood for eight days in a row and then you have spotting between periods, it's likely all of that is going to lead to blood deficiency. So now here we have an herb that does both. It tonifies the blood and stops the bleeding, or sometimes we can have bleeding due to deficiency. So this, so this substance takes care of both. So it's uh, very important for that. And also if we combine the other two that it stops bleeding and it's good for moistening the lung and stopping cough, put those two together. Ujiao is very good for coughing up blood because again, it's doing two things at the same time. Moistening the lung and stopping cough and stopping bleeding. It's good for coughing up blood. So this one, because it's a gelatin, um, the dosage is normal, but notice it has this special cooking instruction. We can say melt in at the end or the, the Chinese uh, phrase translates to separately warmed to melt. So sometimes what they'll do is they might uh, boil some water and melt the gelatin and then add it in to the strained decoction. But uh, basically what's happening here is this is gelatin. And so if you just try to cook it with the other herbs, what will happen is either 
it will sink to the bottom of your pot and just burn to the bottom of your pot and not actually get mixed in, or it will start to melt and then just stick to the other herbs in the decoction and not actually get dissolved in. So you don't want to cook this with the other herbs. You want to, um, after, after you decoct your formula and strain it, you'll want to in some way melt this in at the end. And it turns out that we say melted in, Ujjal is not easy to melt. If you, cause usually Ujjal, when you get it, it comes in like a block. And if you just put that block in there, it can take a long time to actually dissolve into a warm decoction. Even if you're boiling it, it can, you have to sit there and stir for like 20 minutes. I've made that mistake before. So what you want to do is, or what I've done is, um, even though we say melt it, um, first, pound it or crush it and so it's more of small pieces or even into a powder. The ujjal I've gotten, it comes in like a little foil package that it's foil on one side but then plastic on the other. So what I would do is while it's still in that little foil pouch, get a hammer and pound at it while it's still in that pouch so it like all the pieces stay in there, but pound on it as much as you can to get it into small pieces or even a powder. And then when you go to melt it in, it will be much easier to stir to stir it in and melt because it's already in a powder or smaller pieces. So that would be my recommendation when we, if you're gonna use ujjal in decoction is don't just throw it in there and expect it to melt. You'll probably wanna pound it into small pieces first. Ujjal, I'm not sure what, the, currently I'm not sure what the status of Ujjal is, that there was a while where you we could not import Ujjal, and what I heard from an herb distributor was that there was a mix-up with the endangered species list that um, some, somebody in the U.S. import system uh wrote down the wrong name of the, the species and they thought that Ujjal was coming from an endangered species. So uh, a bunch of herb suppliers had to write them and lobby them to say that, no, this you have the wrong donkey. This is not coming from an endangered donkey. This is coming from a very common donkey. And so I think they lifted that restriction. So for a while you couldn't get it or it was very expensive. But I think nowadays there are some ethical concerns here because I think the donkeys are very important to farmers in Africa, and because this herb is very valuable in China, there have been people who've been actually stealing stealing the donkeys of African farmers and pirating, pirating them back to China. And so I think sometimes there are some concerns about the species isn't, isn't technically endangered, but uh, it could be that there are some ethical concerns around its sourcing of is the use of Ujjal hurting these uh, African farmers who are they're using their donkeys for farming. It's how they it's how they grow food and, and are able to feed their families, whereas some people are stealing them and putting them on the on the Chinese market. So I'm not entirely sure what the status of this one is. Um, I think there are some cases where you could probably use a substitute. Um, if you're just wanting to tonify blood, you can do other things like Shudi Huang is very good for tonifying blood. Um, but in terms of its actions of both tonifying blood and stopping bleeding, I'm not sure we have another herb that does similar, has similar functions. You would probably have to use multiple herbs in order to, in order to get this function. And then also I know that some people will say that, um, doing things like bone broth, it might be something you can try as well, that this is something they'll recommend to patients with blood deficiency is 
uh, start making bone broth and soups. And this is kind of a similar idea that you're boiling the bones, you're getting that collagen out, and, it, and it's very similar. I would just say, I think this is a good idea. It's probably just not as strong as Ujjow. I think just based on the color that normally when you make a bone broth out of like oxtail or something like that, the the broth is very, is clear or white. I think what's something again that's special about Ujjow is its color that's black in color. So that's related to kidney essence. So that's something you can try, but I would imagine it's not as strong as actually taking Ujjow but it might be more accessible or easier for your patients to do long-term. So that's Ujjow, Asini Coriaicola, black ass hide gelatin. Oh, another way I remember the, um, the functions of this one is, uh, one, you can think this is donkey glue. And so sometimes I think about like, if you get a cut and you start bleeding, you can actually glue it back together. That's, that's something we do. And sometimes instead of band-aids, especially on a very bendy part, they'll actually, people actually use super glue to stop bleeding. So you can think that Ujjow is donkey glue. So it's good for stopping bleeding. And also in terms of uh, moistening the lung, you can think that Ujjow comes from donkeys, and donkeys are very loud. They like to hee-haw a lot and make a lot of noise, and so maybe that can make you think of the lung and coughing. So those are the functions of Ujjow, and you can maybe relate it to donkeys and donkey glue. After that is Gochitsa Lysiae Fructus. Gochitsa Lysiae Fructus. This one I actually don't know how to say. Um, because there, there's this weird rule in Chinese that if you have two third tones in a row, the first one turns into a second tone. Um, but here we have three third tones in a row, so I'm actually not sure how to say it. Like, is it go qi zi? Like, which one gets turned into a second tone? Um, but it turns out, like, I'm not very good at tones anyway. So, go qi zi, lysiae fructus. This is Chinese wolfberry. I'm not sure that anybody calls it that anymore. It's just goji berry is what most people call it. And so gochitsa goji berry, the important thing to know about this one is it tonifies blood to brighten eyes. The gochitsa has a very famous, very special action of brightening the eyes for blood deficiency. So gochitsa tonifies blood to brighten eyes for poor night vision, blurred vision, or dry eyes. If there's not enough blood going to the eyes, the eyes can dry out as well. So Gochitsa tonifies blood, but we should definitely say its specialty is brightening the eyes, treating these vision problems. But Gochitsa also tonifies liver and kidney yin as well. So things we've been saying like sore, low back, sore knees, and dizziness. And it also moistens the lung or tonifies lung yin for things like cough, or wasting and thirsting disorder. And again, this is going to be good for wasting and thirsting disorder because we said there's upper jowl, middle jowl, and lower jowl. The fact that it tonifies lung yin is good for the upper jowl symptoms like thirst. The fact that it tonifies kidney yin is good for the lower jowl symptoms like uh, profuse urination. So the fact that it's going to both the upper and lower jowl makes this very useful for wasting and thirsting disorder. And basically, I put these two together because Bensky will put Gochitsa in the category herbs that tonify blood. Most other books will actually put this in the category herbs that tonify yin. So that's just important to know about Gochitsa is, yes, it's very famous for tonifying blood, tonifying yin, two brightened eyes, but a lot of books will put it in the tonify yin category because it tonifies liver and kidney yin and also tonifies lung yin as well. And we will see this come up in a lot of formulas for yin deficiency. Um, 
lot of liver and kidney indeficiency, like a Ji Chuan Jian, um, uh, Yo Wei Wan, and things like that. So it does come up in a lot of uh, yin formulas as well. So that's what we should remember about Gochitsa, tonifies blood to brighten eyes, but also tonifies yin, both liver and kidney yin, and tonifies lung yin, or moistens the lung. So that's Gochitsa, Goji Berry. After that is Song Shen Mori Fructus. Song Shen Mori Fructus. This is mulberry fruit. So you may have noticed up to now, we've learned a lot of different parts of the mulberry tree. It turns out we use every part of the mulberry tree in Chinese medicine. So we've learned things like Song Zhe, mulberry twig. Song Ye, mulberry leaf. In the cool lacquer, release the exterior category. Um, Song by P is the bark of the mulberry root. And then we even learned um, Song Ji Sheng is a parasite that grows on mulberry trees. And later we'll learn silkworms. I think silkworms live on mulberry trees as well. So we use all the parts of the mulberry tree. Here we're talking about Song Shen, the mulberry fruit. And this one tonifies blood and nourishes yin. So for things like Dizziness, tinnitus, insomnia, and pre premature graying of hair, dryness and thirst, wasting and thirsting disorder. And it also moistens the large intestine to relieve constipation. So this is another one that Bensky puts it in the tonify blood category, but there are a lot of books that will put this in the tonify yin category because it, has a, because it does have a main action of tonifying yin as well. And this is another one that's special that it's not really sticky or cloying, so it's much easier to use long term that we don't have to worry about those digestive problems. So that's Song Shen. Not sure this is a very commonly used herb or one we'll see pop up in formulas very often, but just know that it uh, belongs to this category in the tonify yin category, so it tonifies blood and yin. That's Song Shen mulberry fruit. And our final one here is Long Yan Ro. Longin Arlis. Long Yan Ro. Longin Arlis. And this is Longin fruit. I'm not sure it's very easy to get Longin fruit in the West, at least fresh. I think the, the only time I've seen it, um, even when you go to Asian markets, the only time I've seen it is in, um, you can get it canned as well. So I'm not sure how easy it is to get fresh, but when we use it as an herb, usually get it in its dry form. So Long Yanro is Longin fruit. What we want to know about this one is it tonifies blood to calm Shen. So this one, it's entering the heart and spleen channels. It's not entering the liver channel. It tonifies blood to calm Shen for things like insomnia, anxiety, palpitation, forgetfulness due to heart and spleen deficiency. <clears throat> so this is another one. We might have talked about this before when we talked about Datsal, but kind of the idea here is this is good for both heart and spleen deficiency. Now remember the emotion associated with the spleen is pensiveness or worry. So sometimes over worrying, overthinking, um, can damage the spleen and then it can also create shen problems as well so long yanro it's going to the spleen to help the spleen but it's also tonifying heart blood to calm shen one special note here this is actually not in any textbooks but this is something that one of my chinese herb teachers told me is that um, because long yanro is warm if you take it long term it can cause certain heat signs so he says after you after you take it for two or three weeks Take a seven-day break before you resume it again, just to avoid this accumulation of heat 
due to the warmth of Long Yanro. I think kind of the idea here is because Long Yanro is a fruit, people think, or it's a food, so people think they can just take it and eat as much as they want and it won't really have any side effects. So sometimes people um, get really into Long Yanro and they like to eat it as a snack and they'll try to eat it every day. And we should just know that if you're doing that, it can cause heat signs. So uh, if you take it for a while, take a little bit of a break to um, so you don't get those heat signs and then resume. So that's something you do with long yanro. I'm not sure that long and fruit is popular enough in the West that this would ever be an issue, but that's uh, from a Chinese perspective, that's something that uh, a caution they say. And the name of this, this one is interesting. Long yanro means dragon eye flesh. So long means dragon. We've learned this before with herbs like Long Dan Sao, dragon gallbladder herb, or if you've just watched Kung Fu Panda, uh, in the first one, the bad guy is Tai Long, which means great dragon, or sometimes uh, Bruce Lee had the nickname Xiao Long, little dragon. So Long means dragon, Yan means flesh, Ro, uh, Yan means eye, Ro means flesh, like rogue way. Um, ro, it, it means flesh or it means meat. So um, sometimes this comes up in cooking, like hui guo ro is twice cooked pork. The ro means flesh or meat. But when we also say like the spleen governs the flesh, that's the character we're using is ro. Uh, so dragon eye flesh. And probably the, I'm assuming the name comes from when you look at the fresh fruit instead of the dried fruit. But when you look at the fresh fruit, this is what it looks like when you cut it in half and it has that pit in the middle. The, the fruit is white and the pit is uh, a darker color. So I'm assuming that's why they call it dragon eye flesh is when you slice the, the fresh fruit in half. But anyway, long yanro, what we should remember about this one, uh, basically its only function is tonifies heart blood to calm Shen. So think about Long Yanro as a Shen calming herb. So those are our herbs that tonify blood. I kind of said it was a short category, but there's a lot to say for each one. So this ended up being a, a long video. But those are herbs that tonify blood. What I like to do now is talk about some formulas and Dwei Yao pairs. Now, this is not meant to be a formula class, so we're not going to go in-depth into formulas. But if you're studying these herbs, then maybe seeing these herbs come up in formulas, that can help give these herbs some context, and that can help you understand some of the signs and symptoms associated with blood deficiency, and that can help you understand how these herbs get combined with herbs that we've already learned. So we can also use this as a way to review other herbs from herbs one, two, and three. So let's just briefly look at a few formulas. So first one is Siwutong for substance decoction. Siwutong for substance decoction. And this is for blood deficiency and or stagnation. So our main formula for tonifying qi is Sujunzatong for gentleman decoction. Our main uh, formula for tonifying blood is Siwutong for substance decoction. And so this is for blood deficiency. So we can see, see our signs um, that we talked about before, things like dizziness, blurred vision, lusterless complexion in the nails. So uh, there's not enough blood going up to the head, so we get dizziness. There's not enough blood nourishing the eyes, so we get eye problems. There's not enough blood nourishing the skin, and the nails are the surplus of the sinews. So we get lusterless complexion and lusterless nails. Generalized muscle tension. We are talking about how the liver... Um, the liver is associated with the sinews or is associated with the tendons. So if there's not enough liver blood going to the tendons, we can get this generalized muscle tension. It's like your tendons are a rubber band that have dried out. So instead of being nice and soft and flexible, they're stiff and brittle. 
Insomnia, palpitations, this is, there's not enough hot blood nourishing the heart. A thin body lacking strength, you, it's like you're anemic, you're a, like a pale vampire, um, just because you don't have enough nourishment. Irregular menses with little flow, so there's not enough blood to form the, the menses, so we have scanty menses. The tongue is pale, the pulse is thin, because there's not enough blood to fill up the vessel, so the pulse is thin in diameter, and it could be choppy as well, like there's not enough blood in order for it to flow smoothly, so we end up with a rough or choppy pulse, semi. So you can see mostly what we did here is we just took a bunch of herbs that tonify blood and put them together. So Shu Di, Bai Shao, and Dong Wei all come from this category, herbs that tonify blood. So those are there to tonify blood. And then what's interesting is we also add in a little bit of Chuan Xiong uh, to invigorate blood. Remember Chuan Xiong is from the invigorate blood category. It moves both qi and blood. And, um, Kind of the idea here is on the one hand, we could say this is for both blood deficiency and blood stagnation. We're addressing both. But kind of like we said, that blood is a very yin substance. So when you start using these um, these kind of thick, dense, sticky, tonifying herbs, you can start tonifying blood. And it's very easy for the blood to just sit there and not do anything because it's very yin. And so we need a little bit of moving as well to make sure uh, – to prevent stagnation. So Dongwei has an action of invigorating blood as well, but then we throw in a little bit of Chuanchong to invigorate the blood. So we can say that we're tonifying blood, but we're using some movement to prevent stagnation. Or another way we can think about it is there's this saying that in order to tonify, in order to generate new blood, the old blood must first be transformed. So there's this idea that you have to move out the old in order to bring in the new. So we're using some invigorating herbs to transform that old blood. And then we're using some tonifying herbs to generate new blood. But anyway, we can see Tong. This is just a good way to illustrate. These are the signs and symptoms we typically see with blood deficiency. And these are some herbs that we use for uh, general blood tonic. Tong for substance decoction. And this is going to form the basis of a lot of other formulas that you see going through formula class. Another one that's interesting is there's actually a, a patent uh, called Shou Chi. Um, and this is, uh, this is just something that you can buy that it's, uh, manufactured in China and they import it. Shouchur. This is a general tonic and it's specifically for, um, darkening the hair. So that's why it's named after Hushowu, but you can see a lot of our ingredients there. Uh, Hushowu, Dongwei to tonify blood. Huangjing, we learned in the last category, but remember it has a, also has an action of tonifying yin and tonifying essence. Some books will put Huangjing in a tonify yin category. Shu Di Huang, because it tonifies yin, blood, and essence. Chuan Chong, again, they're creating some movement. And then see at the very end, we have some Sha Ren, cardamom. So like we said, that these herbs are very sticky and cloying. They can very easily cause digestive problems. They can very easily cause stagnation. So you often want to have something in there that can help move things along. So in this formula, we have this example of adding Sha Ren to regulate middle Jiao Qi to make sure that we don't end up with those digestive problems from the sticky, cloying nature of these herbs. So this is something that if you want to tonify blood, tonify essence, darken the hair, and a person doesn't want to cook herbs, you can uh, get some shou chur. I think this is very common to get in, uh, to find in 
at least Chinese herbal pharmacies, but also maybe in supermarkets, Chinese Asian supermarkets as well, um, that this is another option for if you don't want to cook herbs, you can just take this uh, tonic. It's a it's soaked in alcohol. It's an alcohol based one, so just have to make sure your patient is okay taking alcohol. Uh, another th we uh, something we know we didn't talk about this yet, but this Duyao pear chai hu plus bai shao. I think we talked about uh, I didn't put it in here, but we talked about the Duyao pear uh, uh, guizhou plus uh, bai shao. That guizhou plus bai shao is good for that taiyang deficiency condition where we have fever and chills with the presence of sweating. We can use guizhou to release the exterior, but we can use bai shao to hold in the sweat. We have another common way up here, here, chai hu plus bai shao, and these are both acting on the liver. So remember chai hu bupurum is from the cool lacquered release the exterior category, but besides releasing the exterior, it also has a function of moving liver chi or relieving liver constraint. We combine it with bai shao, which is uh, tonifying blood and has the action of softening and emoliating the liver. So these two go very well together when we have that liver chi stagnation, when we had that saying, the liver is yin in form and yang in function, this pair is taking care of both of those aspects. When we say the liver is yin in form, we're using the bai shao to tonify liver blood and soften and relax the liver. And then we're using chai hu because it's acrid, it can move liver chi. So if the liver is deficient, it can fail in its function of free coursing. So here we're using a combination of herbs that tonifies the liver and moves liver chi. So this is a very important Dwei Yao pair that we'll see come up in several formulas. One of those formulas is Chai Hu Shu Gansan, blue plurum powder to dredge the liver. Here we have that Dwei Yao pair, Chai Hu plus Bai Shao. This is for liver chi constraint, things like flank pain, stifling sensation in the chest, Deep sighing, when you when your patient sighs a lot, it's like they're trying to expand their ribs so they can move the liver chi through the liver channel. Suppressed emotions and feelings of frustration and anger, and then we also have some rebellious uh, stomach chi signs that if the liver, if there's liver constraint that can attack horizontally into the stomach, cause some stagnation and cause the stomach chi to rebel back upwards. But here, this is just an example of that Duyao pair, Chai Hu plus Bai Shao. Another example of this is a very famous formula, Xiao Yao San, rambling powder or free and easy wanderer decoction. So Xiao Yao San is a very famous formula and it's based on this Duyao pair, Chai Hu plus Bai Shao. So that's an application of Bai Shao. Another application of Bai Shao is for cramping. We remember we said that part of softening the liver is it's good for cramping spasm pain. So Xiao Yao Gan Cao Tong is specifically for pain in the calves due to blood deficiency. So for spasm of the muscles, cramping in the hands or cramping in the uh, abdomen or a cramping pain in the abdomen. And so we use Bai Shao. And then remember we said that Gan Cao licorice root also has this function that it relaxes the sinews relaxes the muscles to treat spasm and cramping, but it's pretty much only comes up in this con in this context of combining with Bai Shao. So here's an example of using Bai Shao to relax the tendons or soften and emoliate the liver. Another uh, Duyao pair that you'll see come up is Juhua plus Gochitsa. Juhua is chrysanthemum flower, Gochitsa is goji berries. These both have an action of brightening the eyes but they do it in slightly different ways. So remember, Juhua is from the cool lacquered release the exterior category. So it's very good for eye problems due to wind heat. 
whereas Gochitsa is from the Tonify blood category, uh, Tonify yin category. So it's very good for eye problems due to yin and blood deficiency. So we put them together and it's very good for uh, treating eye problems. So you can say now this is good for all types of eye problems, whether it's due to deficiency or due to heat. Or we could say that Juhua, because it's a flower, it's very light and aromatic and ascends upward. So we could even say that Gochitsa is tonifying the blood, but Juhua is lifting it up into the face and lifting it up into the eyes and directing that to the upper body. So this is a very, uh, very common Duayao pair. Sometimes you can even uh, use this by itself as a tea. Um, because both of these are very common. You can get them in uh, supermarkets and you can just prepare them as a tea. You don't have to boil them in decoction. You can just steep them in water. And this is especially useful like if it's the springtime and you're starting to have allergies and getting some dry, itchy eyes. Remember, spring, the uh, for the six evils, uh, wind is associated with the spring. So spring is very windy time. Spring is associated with the wood phase and the liver. The liver governs the eyes. So it's very common when the spring season comes around, it gets very windy. People will have eye problems. And so you can make a tea out of Juhua and Gochitsa to deal with these eye problems. Because on the one hand, it's releasing that wind heat from the spring season, but it's also tonifying in, tonifying blood to provide some moisture to the eyes as well. So it can be very good just as a, on its own as a tea for eye problems during the spring, or we see it come up in certain formulas for specifically for treating eye problems. So one is Chiju Di Huang Wang. We start with Liu Wei Di Huang Wang, which is our basic formula for tonifying in. It's actually based on Shu Di Huang to tonify in. But then we add in Go Chi Zhen Ju Hua to brighten the eyes to treat eye problems due to yin deficiency. So that's just an example of using Gochitsa to brighten eyes. And just to remind you that Juhua also has a very famous action of brightening the eyes. Um, I think this is the last one. Guipi Tong, restore the spleen decoction. This is just a very famous formula that is often prescribed, often uh, students really like this formula. It's for spleen qi deficiency plus heart blood deficiency with symptoms like forgetfulness, palpitations with or without anxiety, insomnia, dream disturbed sleep, anxiety and phobias, <clears throat> withdrawal with reduced appetite and a pallid wan complexion, the tongue is pale with a thin white coat, the pulse is thin and frail. And kind of the idea here is this is spleen chi deficiency plus heart blood deficiency. So one way we think about this is when spleen chi is deficient, your digestion isn't working, so you're not getting the nutrients to create the blood. And since you can't create blood, you end up with heart blood deficiency, and you end up with these Shen problems like palpitations, forgetfulness, anxiety. So that's one way you can think about it is that the spleen is like the, a source of blood because of digestion, and if the spleen isn't working, you don't get enough heart blood. Another way we can think about it is like we said that we can think about it from an emotional aspect where if you have a lot of pensiveness, worry, overthinking, those thoughts can damage the spleen and eventually that will lead to Shen problems in the heart as well. So sometimes people call this a student formula because it's like students are studying all the time, sitting constantly damages the spleen, but the thinking the studying, the pensiveness, the worrying about your tests, 
Those are all emotions that students have. It damages the spleen. And then it, you eventually end up with anxiety and palpitations like test anxiety and nervousness and palpitation. It can even affect your memory, you get forgetfulness, and you can't remember the things you're actually studying because you're worrying too much. So sometimes people call this the student formula because it's dealing with both the spleen and the heart. And those are things that students deal with. If we look at the ingredients here, we've learned actually most of these ingredients so far. So remember when the, in the Chitonifying category, we talked about Sejunzatong, four gentlemen decoction. So here we see Renchen, Baiju, Fushen instead of Fuling, and Jirgansa, we add in some Huangqi. So remember normally here we'd use Fuling, Poria, but remember Fushen is the part of Fuling that contains the root, so it's better for calming the Shen. So you could use Fuling, or if you wanted an additional action of calming the Shen, you could use Fu Shen, to calm Shen. And we have some herbs that um, nourish the heart. So Long Yan Ro is the one that we learned in this category. Tonifies blood, to calm Shen. Here's where it's being used. If you took intro to herbs, you might remember we also learned Swan Zhao Ren from the category herbs that nourish the heart and calm the spirit. So if you don't remember that one, we'll learn that in a couple categories after that, after this one. But here's an example of Long Yan Ro tonifying blood to calm the spirit. This is one of the major applications. It's in the formula Gui Pitong, which is a very commonly prescribed formula, especially for people with um, anxiety and insomnia. So that's it for formulas. Here we can do a quick review of our herbs. We started off with Shu Di Huang, Ramani Erratics Preparata. Remember, Shu Di Huang tonifies blood, but it also tonifies yin and tonifies essence as well. This is a black root, so it goes to the kidney, tonifies kidney yin, kidney essence. So this is our main herb for tonifying all types of blood. It's also one of our most commonly used herbs for tonifying yin as well. Dongwei, what we wanna remember there is Dongwei both tonifies blood and invigorates blood. So it's good for both blood deficiency and blood stagnation. Just remember in terms of tonifying blood, it also has an action of moistening the large intestine as well. Bai Shao is white peony root. This one tonifies blood, but specialty is that it softens, relaxes, and emoliates the liver, especially for spasm and cramping. Remember Bai Shao is also sour in flavor, so it has this action of preserving yin, especially in the case of sweating. Jirhushawu means Mr. Hu's black hair, so this tonifies blood, especially to darken the hair. But remember, remember the story about Mr. Hu. He also had this constitutional kidney deficiency, weak low back, weak low knees, impotence, spermatorrhea, nocturnal emission. So he had blood deficiency, but also had deficiency of yin and essence, and that essence was leaking out. So Hushawu tonifies blood, tonifies essence. Um, I know preserves or hold things in with its astringent property. Ujiao is donkey gelatin. Ujiao tonifies blood and stops bleeding. So we can think uh, donkey gelatin is like donkey glue. You use glue to uh, seal your cut to stop bleeding. Ujiao also has an action of moistening the lung to stop cough. You can think that donkeys are loud. They like to hee-haw and make a lot of noise. So that eventually dries out their lungs. So Ujiao also moistens the lung. Gochita tonifies blood to brighten the eyes. Sangshen tonifies blood, tonifies yin, not a very commonly used one. And then Longyan Ro tonifies blood to calm Shen. 
So that is our category, herbs that tonify blood. Here, we this was a very long lecture. We went in very great detail about the category tonifying blood. If you want to review, if you're taking a big test like finals, year ends, or boards, and you want to review all of the herbs, but you want to do it a little bit more quickly, you just want something that you can go through each herb and just point out the key, key functions of each herb like we just did, be sure to check out the form the TCM study single herb review course that's on teachable it's $49 it goes over all of the herbs and it again just hits on those key points for each herb so um, there's a lot of handouts a lot of practice tests a lot of practice questions and so if you're studying for finals year ends or boards and you want to review all the herbs that's a way to do it but that was our category herbs that tonify blood thanks for being here we'll be back with the next one which is herbs that tonify the young.